Wendy Duff is an associate professor at the U of T specializing in the use of digital archives. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you. Now, normally we don't go down into the archive level. Mm-hmm. We don't troll down there. We're more interested in the book. So I guess the librarians are upper class and the archivists are lower class. Am I getting that right? Well, class has such a negative connotation to it. So <laughs> I guess I would say that librarians tend to deal with material that has been processed and produced according to certain convention. As an archivist, you deal with some material that's produced to convention, but also letters and photographs and stuff that comes to you from many different ways that people have created for many different reasons. Okay. And, and legal documents. So let's then go there. If you could please tell us the difference between what a librarian does and an archivist does. Just from, from my take, it's the librarian collects and preserves, conserves anything that has been published, and you do everything else. Am I correct? Well, there's also museum people that do another piece. Part of what it is, I would say, is an attitude to stuff. So for an archivist, as important as the stuff itself is the context around the creation and use of the stuff. So provenance is so important as an archivist because to really understand the meaning of something, you have to understand how it was created, how it was used, and why it was kept. Where often what a librarian will be dealing with is material that was published, and it was published to communicate something, and it was published to make money in a marketing sense. So there's a very different way we look at it. Librarians tend to be very interested in the physical, uh, to a physical object. Mm-hmm. And when they describe that object, they describe the physical aspects of it, and they're very interested in the information in it. As an archivist, you're very interested in the context around something that therefore gives it greater meaning. And the other thing I would say you're interested in is we're interested in evidence. Your birth certificate Mm. isn't about something. You know what? It sure is important because it's evidence that you were born in a particular place. Proof. Yeah. Proof that something happened at a particular time where there was a contract that was promised or there was a legal case. That's what, as an archivist, sets us apart, I would say. And both the idea that the document can only be understood in relationship to the other documents that it was used with, and that it is that context of why it was created and how it was created and how it was used that is as important as the document itself. Okay, so the librarian is much more interested in the object The book specifically as the object, they'd be interested in the manuscripts, the diaries, the notebooks, anything to do with the published author's life. Or is that getting into your area? I think that that, then you're dealing with archival material. For example, all of Alice Munro's papers, her notebooks, everything that would pertain to her output Uh would be going to the library, the National Library, or some library, not the archives. They actually go to the archives often. There was a collecting of writer papers by the National Library, and one of the things that was pointed out, the same kind of thing was collected by the archives, and that in some ways led to 
the thing coming together. The, the two institutions uh, merging. What tends to happen is if a lot of writers' papers go to university archives, so you've got something that is considered a special collection, and it's the rare books and it's the manuscripts. And in a university setting, often it will be an archivist that runs that department, or it's a librarian who hopefully is using archival techniques when they describe these and learn how to deal with them. So writers' papers, in fact, are archival. Right. Um, if I'm interested in James Joyce, mm-hmm. whatever America, either Texas or Austin, Texas, or wherever they happen to be, it's going to annoy me if I if I want to see the the actual, you know, say first editions of the rare books, and then I have to go to uh, Dublin or or Boston to f- to find all of the his notebooks or the way that he the, the thinking that he went through to get to the book. But the good thing about books is that the same one is published in many versions of it or, or manifestations. I understand that, but I, the, the separation of the genesis of the right. book from the book is annoying for a right. bibliophile. Yeah, but probably if you go to someplace in Boston, it's in a university library, and they probably also have first editions. That You don't mm. have to go to Texas to get the first edition. And I guess that's another, mm. that's another thing that's different. It's the uniqueness, that, right? That's right. Uniqueness is one of the issues, that you only have one copy of his diary. You only have a individual copy with his handwriting annotations of how he wants that particular uh, manifestation, that manuscript, you know, as he edits it. So you'll have only one copy of that. But that first edition of his work, you have many, many copies. In most special collections, they would collect all editions of the book of an author. The other thing, as an archivist, books come with a person, and so they also are archival. Books can absolutely be archival. And if you're looking at early printing, it's often in the archives that they come, you know, those very small pamphlets kind of things. And they will stay with the collection that they came with. They don't get broken up. No, no. So you would list and keep Huxley's or Joyce's, his copies of his first editions with his papers. Mm -hmm. Well, again, that makes sense from the user's perspective. That's why I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is uh, there is this division between an mm-hmm. archivist and a librarian when perhaps there shouldn't be. I no, mean, what I does a librarian do that an archivist doesn't do? Like you both make sure that the, the temperature is the right temperature, mm-hmm. preserving the, the document. You're making it as accessible as you can. There doesn't seem to be in the specific day-to-day task or role. What's the difference? When a librarian would describe something, they would describe every individual item. When an archivist describes it, this is an area that I worked a lot on developing rules to how to describe archives in Canada. So as an archivist, you would describe the totality of it. Then you would describe the individual series. Then you would describe a file. And so we go from this very broad down to an item. Okay, so broad would be the, the context? Pa- partially the context. In when I describe, let's say I was going to describe Carol Shields' record. I would describe her life. I would describe the fact that she lived in Africa, the awards that she got, all of those things. But wouldn't a librarian do that? No. A librarian would, librarians do not describe a person's life when they describe a book. I mean, think of the books you have. And, or if you find them in a library catalog. 
They don't describe the individual and their awards and whatnot. But archivists do, because we see that as absolutely essential to understanding the records. The context. The context is the key. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that a librarian could not learn and describe things archivally. And it's not to say that a, an archivist couldn't learn and describe books in a bibliographic way. I work in a school, and I teach how to arrange and describe archives. And often, I have students that are in the library stream come and take my class. And our students often take, my archive students, take those classes because they want both, both sets of knowledge. I'm talking with Wendy Duff, who's an associate professor at the University of Toronto, specializing in, in archival uh, digitization, etc. You talk about the, the bibliographical training of the librarian versus the training that an archivist would go through. Can you get then to, to that specifically? What are the tasks that the librarian would undertake, say, once a book comes into their hands versus, say, the diaries of, let's go with Carol Shields again? Okay. If I was a librarian, I would take Carol Shields. I have all her first editions. I would describe each one individually record the title, I would record the date it was published, I'd record how many pages it was. Condition? Well, depends. If I was a rare book, and let's say somebody older, let's say Catherine Parr Trail, then I'm, I would describe the, con the physical condition of this book. I would make sure that, if you take Catherine Parr Trail, I would make sure that there was an access point for a user that was standardized, so that sometimes she wasn't filed under T for trail and other times under P for part trail, you know. So I, I do enough research about Catherine Partrail to standardize a way in under her name, and I standardize the form of her name. As an archivist, what I would do is I would look at all the totality of the records that I have, and I would research Catherine Partrail's life, and I would write a biographical sketch about how she was born in England and she came to Canada and the, where she lived and the kinds of books she wrote and all of that, and I would describe that. Then what I would describe is all the stuff that I have. Let's say she lived from 1830 to 1950, 1830 to, to the turn of the century. She must have ate right. <laughs> but let's say, then I describe the stuff I have, which is her diaries that she wrote while living in Canada. But then I describe and I say I have this material by her. The dates of the material that she wrote it were not 1830. She didn't start writing until, let's say, 1860. And so I have 10 years of all this stuff. I describe that there's series. I might describe what kinds of things she documents in those series. So I'd look within the diaries, and I would say it's a day-to-day -day account, you know, but mainly it's about flowers and plants. So I, I write this thing called the scope and content as an archivist. And then I might talk about the physical condition of those diaries. And I, I describe her life mm. so that you can understand where they what, fit in. Where they fit in and, yeah. and what maybe she's referring to and the location. Where was she gathering this data? The librarian would never say where she was living when she wrote these books. They would just give the date of publication. It's the place of publication, not where she wrote them. Sounds like the role of the archivist way more fun. Yeah. Documenting a book, basically just taking the data that you find in the book and transcribing it and making it accessible, I think, and easy to find. I yeah. think that's, those are the things that the librarian does. That sounds really boring. Well, if you worked in a real book library, understanding different editions 
and yeah. knowing how these conditions varied. Yeah, that's fascinating. That is fascinating. I think if you want to be a researcher, you're better off being an archivist because an archivist always researches. Mm. And what more, if you're working, depending if you're working in a just a regular library, books come in and you process them, but you never read them. As, a, as an archivist, you have to read a lot of material, and you have to actually gain a certain expertise in that area. So yeah. you have to understand that broad. So if I'm going to be, to be an archivist of the National Archives, you write a, an exam about Canadian history. You write an exam about the social life in Canada today, and they were asked what were the main issues affecting Canadians. You'd have to do this exam just in order to get hired by them. But the National Archives Committee, right, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, because you need to be able to answer those kind of questions to understand the significance of this document. Another thing that archivists do, of the Canadian government, I think the archives probably saves 5% of the records. So the archivist decides what record survives and what doesn't. Yeah. As a librarian, you tend to believe that every book ever published should survive. Well, isn't that basically it's just like a deposit uh, center where pretty well every book that's got an ISBN number, they provide the ISBN numbers, don't they? To, uh, Probably, but yeah. it, the thing is, is that before a book is published, it goes through a major vetting, right? It, somebody had to agree to publish it. Mm -hmm. So then we believe that our published history should all be preserved. Mm -hmm. But you can't preserve every scrap of paper or every email that comes into the Canadian government. So you only save 5%. <laughs> Librarian, they basically get everything that's published. With the archivist, it, it, there's, a, there's a judgment that's involved that, uh, that then perhaps wouldn't be with the librarian's task. I mean, there's a difference between working at a place like the National Library where everything's preserved and working at some place like a university where you decide which books you'll buy and which ones you won't. But you don't decide that because I don't buy that, that book won't survive. There's some interesting work going now in the area of preservation. Now I've got a scanned book, and my technology today can read it. But in 15 years from now, this is going to be new technology. So how am I going to be able to use this computer to it can read this file? So if we... That's I mean, just what's happening with Microsoft, apparently. The, yeah. The Microsoft uh, Word 97, right? Can't be read. Can't be read. They're addressing that, but... Right. And the other thing is, is if you have your file, your computer file, those floppy disks that we had, who has readers now? And besides which, it degrades. Even a CD-ROM, we all have probably music that we thought they all said, oh, it'll last 100 years. But it, they, it doesn't. So you've got to, what we say is refresh. You've got to take it from one medium and move it on to another, Plus, you have to migrate it because you can't open Word 97 with today's software. Mm -hmm. But you could have done it with Word 2000 or whatever that number was. So we constantly have to migrate the stuff. So it doesn't get preserved. It's not like having your notebook there that you could, I don't know, leave in the attic. Well, if you find an electronic file that's 80 years old, you have nothing. Unless you're going to do a tremendous amount of work. So the decisions about what we preserve because of the ongoing cost of it, I think will be very interesting and very related to what archivists do. So librarians are going to have many of the things that they've never been concerned about, such as 
they can't decide to preserve everything. It's too expensive. So which of this mass of printed material, published material that's only published electronically, what are we going to preserve and what are we not? And what about all those websites? The National Library collects all the websites in Canada, or Canadian websites from the Canadian government. How in the What do you mean they collect them? They copy them, and they have them in their collection. But what, whose do they copy? I think it's Canadian government websites. So basically they're just documenting the websites of their own, their own departments. I know that in Denmark, what they do is they actually, they call it harvesting, and they harvest every website that ends in the, I think it's DK. DK, mm -hmm. and they go out and they try to, both a couple times a year, try to get it all in. And then they want to preserve it because the web is in some ways a new publishing medium mm -hmm. and a fascinating publishing medium. What of this are we going to preserve? And They also preserved every website they could find that related to these comics, the Ayatollah mm -hmm. comics. Muhammad. Muhammad, okay. Websites are this area which is, is it archival? Because a blog is like a diary. But on the other hand, you're publishing it in a way that you never thought you had published it. Again, it's, it's, I guess it's a personal thing. It's this it's, it's desire to share or not yeah. the desire to share. Yeah, yeah. It's so, different. Which perhaps we can then relate that to the whole archival experience, which mm -hmm. would be there are certain things that a writer would wish to share with others, and there are certain things they wouldn't wish that there are no public to know about. Like, for example, uh, Mackenzie King's diaries that he... Uh, wished to be burned and they weren't burned and now they're in the possession of the National Archives mm -hmm. of Canada where any well, not anyone but anyone with an interest a scholarly interest can go in and pour through this poor man's most personal private thoughts against his wishes they actually digitized them and they're available on the web and they're promoting them for school children to read and I actually said that to somebody from the National Archives, that, that it seemed to me even a greater crime. It's actually a fascinating question, though. I mean, what they say is that the will, in fact, was ambiguous, and that he certainly felt that the records that they wanted destroyed, there were certain things that were destroyed. But the question is, what if you found a manuscript by James Joyce that had never been published. And there's a note that says, destroy this on my death. There's a book called The Archivist, and it's about letters from T.S. Eliot that are in an archives, and they're to be kept clothed. It's a novel? or, or It's a novel, yeah. It's actually a very interesting novel. It's a sort of a fun novel. The question is, when records come to an archives, an author can always say, keep these records closed for 100 years until the people that are mentioned in them die. But if a person really wants records destroyed, I believe you destroy those records. But many people would say, oh, maybe the guy thought that this material wasn't worthy. You didn't, so know the, you, don't, you didn't know the intention, the motivation behind the statement, destroy them. Is it because I think they're crap and I'm ashamed of them or because I truly don't want anyone to read them? We wouldn't have Kafka's writing if it hadn't been for Max Broad, disobeying his friend's request. So it's one of these for the greater good of humanity kind of questions. Well, it's an interesting question, and, and it's a question of who controls and who has access to a person's thoughts and writing. So as, am I the creator 
and I read it and I want it destroyed. Now, sometimes archivists argue, oh, well, if they really wanted them destroyed, they would have destroyed before they died. So they would have destroyed them themselves. Right. But I think it's a fascinating moral question and whether as an individual, my thoughts and my personal thoughts, regardless of who I am, whether I have the right to control them after I die, mm -hmm. or whether you, as a historian, a scholar, an archivist, a literary person, says, no, 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 no. You don't own them anymore. You have no right to control what happens to them. Mm -hmm. And that I, as a scholar, you know, am I going to destroy a Mozart piece? I actually remember having this discussion with my mother, mm -hmm. who was a youth book salesperson, and she said, absolutely not. And I said, oh, I would absolutely destroy it. And she said, oh, you're such an idiot. Think we could sell that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Anyway, but, you know, would you destroy a Mozart manuscript? The score just because he felt it wasn't good enough. Anyway, it's an interesting question. And some of the kinds of questions, again, that an archivist, in fact, has to deal with often that a librarian doesn't because by the time it's gone through that whole process... Yeah, with the librarian there, as you say, there's no real question because we know the intent of the author because they, they actually went out and published it. Right. So there's no right. gray area whatsoever. Yeah. The other thing that we have also that's very interesting in archives is actually publishing records. They often do end up in libraries, too. Can you my clarify? My students go out and arrange and describe material. And the Lillian Smith Library, do you know that library? It's a, it's a kid's book collection, the Osborne Book Collection. Where's that one, in Toronto? It's in Toronto. Mm -hmm. It's uh, on College Street. And it's just probably the best children's book collection. In and the world or in, in Canada? I mean, is it primarily Canadian children's books? It is primarily Canadian. And they've just got this phenomenal collection of children's writers. But they also have now some children, publishers of children's books. And they're fascinating. Oh, and so, but what do you mean, though? They've got the, they've got the books, but what, they've, what, what do you mean by they've got the publishers? What they, they would have. So Groundwood Press published a lot of children's books. And those records have been transferred to the, the Osborne Collection. So, so the record of uh, that company's archives, is that yes. what you're saying? Yeah. So all there's lots of, of correspondence with authors about the process. There's contracts on royalties. There's stuff in Groundwood. It's, it's a fantastic collection of trying to promote Canadian children's books abroad. So all of that process of trying to promote, work with authors, mm -hmm. sometimes the manuscripts, these reject letters, these... It's fascinating, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there... It's, it's shining a light on the actual uh, efforts of both the mm -hmm. writer mm -hmm. to get their book picked up, mm -hmm. but then once that happens by the publisher, then, oh, then all the various activities that would take place in, as you say, trying to promote it and... Uh, the, the challenges of, of producing the book and the costs and all that sort of thing, which is in interesting because it, this is something that publishing industry is, is being, being encouraged to do in order to attract more readers by providing on their websites or writing the books themselves interviews with the authors, ah. details on the writing process, all these sorts of things that you'd see in the video, the DVDs right, right, of the right, movies right. now yeah. with the features yeah. and all that type of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so isn't this interesting? It's almost as if you could you could say that the the librarian 
is the book, and then the archivist, all of the, the context around that background mm -hmm. information around it, just like on the DVD, with the movies, the librarian, all the other <laughs> good feature stuff around it is the, the archivist. Yeah, in a, in a way, or, or, you know, one's the book and one's archival material. It's interesting, you know, that National Archives always has had film collection, CBC film, which I would actually say is published material and should be in a library, was actually in the archives. The map collection of Canada, which published maps, has always been in the archives. And Yeah, even there's the word published, right, which would, you would think would be the defining, yeah, defining yeah. line. I think it has to do with archivists are used to dealing with massive amounts of material because you look at a higher and a contextual level, an aggregate level. It's easier to deal with than if you're a librarian and you want to catalog every individual map. You know, yeah. It would be very hard to catalog every individual map produced by the Geological Survey of Canada, I would think. Any other uh, differentiating features that come to mind before we leave you? I guess I would say, and, and this is an area where I think librarians have always done a far better job. Librarians have always focused on, I think, sort of the heart of the library is, is helping the user find information. And I've always argued that the heart of the archives is the record. And that archivists are people who really would prefer to do research. They're not actually driven to there's fewer of them, at least I see them as coming in as students, who want to deal with the techie problems of the electronic world or really want to understand how to connect users to stuff. And I think that that's an area where archivists are going to have to learn to reach out more. They're so used to being this place that was a... I worked at many years at the Public Archives in Nova Scotia, and, you know, this idea of a stone building, and you have a few scholars that come in, and you know them, and you chat. And it wasn't a place where the great unwashed hung out. Oh, absolutely not. And, and, and hear what's happening with all this wonderful scanning and making this stuff available to the masses, which is so exciting. This, this is really the defining challenge of the archivists. Uh, right, and, and we've got a whole new group of people who would never have come into an archives. And yet, how do we make it accessible from their frame of reference? Archives have lots of great things for kids, but we never like kids. There's many archives that you can't even get into an archives if you're a kid. because no, you don't want to wreck the, the That's right. valuable, they're, priceless... It, they're for scholars, many archivists feel. And, and you go in because you want to do research and you want to talk to scholars. But, so the, but the neat thing about the scanning and digitizing is that you can, you can make it available, but the little kids aren't going to tear the paper. Yeah, but you've got to make it available in a way the little kids can understand it. Mm -hmm. To make it available, archivists have certain expertise. Librarians have a different kind of expertise. And then we have to figure out how to, how to understand these different possible uses to reach out, because it's the most fantastic stuff. So. And I guess that's it. Great. Okay. Wendy Duff is associate professor at the University of Toronto, specializing in archives, digitizing archives, 